Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Took a couple minutes. Went upstairs, made myself a little cup of hot chocolate. First of the season. A little chilly out today, huh? Mm-mm. That is good. Actually, I beat you to it. I had to get a hot chocolate at the game on Saturday. I couldn't wait. Oh, isn't that great at a football game doing yeah. that? Yeah. Isn't that great? That and, or here's one I love at a football game. When I go to a high school football game, I, I either like a cup of hot chocolate or, and I'll, sometimes in the broadcast booth I'll have that. Now, obviously, during the course of the game, you know, you're doing the game, you're doing the game, you get the commercial break. Ooh, that's cold. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cooled off from the time I got it, but, you know. Uh, or hot apple cider. Have you had a hot apple cider at a game? It's been a while. Hmm. It is good. Mm. At least to me. I mean, everybody has their own taste, obviously. We were talking about Holishki a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you know, Soup made such a big deal about Holishki, Holishki, Holishki. Like, okay. So finally, you pass him in the hallway, you bring it up, he goes, yeah. He's like, what are you talking about? Huh? Yeah, take it or leave it. Yeah. Well. Are, you, are you concerned about the fog? Yes. And the stress. Whew. Well, no fog or stress for Charlie Steiner. He makes the call on the play-by-play call of the day in the bottom of the 13th at Dodgers Stadium. Guerra on three and two to Bellinger. Here's the pitch. Ground ball. Base hit in the right field. Machado's on his way home. Throw to the plate, and the Dodgers will win it. They win it two to one. And the series is all even at two games apiece. Bellinger with the walk-off, smash to right. Machado scores, hit first slide. The Dodgers win in 13. Indeed they do, and it's tied at two apiece. Now, they're the early game today. The Red Sox and Astros are the nightcap, so Fox Sports 1 has the early game today between the Dodgers and the Brewers and the nightcaps on TBS between the Red Sox and the Astros. So that's our play-by-play call today. Here's another part that's happening today. Uh, you listen to that, the finality of that, and, of course, the crowd going wild. But, my goodness, is replay sucking the emotion out of stadiums? Where you'll get a, you'll get a play and the place is going crazy, now we all have to stop? Here's one. The end of the Red Sox-Yankees game in Game 4. Slow roller to third. Nunez picks it up. Bare hands it, throws to first. Pierce stretches out. Out. Red Sox pour out of the dugout, jumping up and down. Well, got to replay it. Okay. Everybody on hold. And he's out. You want it. Okay. (laughs) Are they taking the emotion out of stadiums by checking everything all the time? Yeah, the timing of that was not good at all. Mm. 
I'm just using that as an example. I mean, other games. Did he get in? It's like, the whole place is going crazy. It's like, did he get in? Oh, jeez. Maybe it's just me. The certain games that I watch where you have the two or three umpires standing there over in the corner by one of the dugouts, they all have their headsets on. Most of the time, they're just standing there. I, I don't see their lips moving. I don't see a lot of communication between them and New York. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. What do you see? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like now when there's the meeting of the minds at the pitcher's mound and everybody has their oh. mitts up to their mouths and it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I think of that Manhattan Project reference that you bring up quite a bit. It's like, okay, what are you guys talking about? It's like, you're afraid this is going to end up on social media as a GIF file and we're going to make fun of it. And it's like, okay. Or or the other team can read lips. Yeah. Like the old Calgon guy. I'm dating myself. The old Calgon commercial on TV. Ancient Chinese secret. Okay, what are you guys talking about? It's like, you know, just, yeah. just get to the point and get, catch it, get back to the uh, mound. And... For example, the, the, the Astros are accused of filming, or, or, uh, filming the Red Sox signs. All right. You know, Actually, we got some breaking news on that, too. They get fined for that? Uh, Major League Baseball, in its investigation, concluded that this particular Astros employee, is this person was caught taking pictures. Well, the conclusion is uh, that employee was monitoring the field to ensure that the posing club was not violating any rules. So chances are maybe that employee <laughs> was standing in a position... <laughs> maybe in a spot where that person shouldn't be policing the situation and making sure, okay, we want to make sure this other team isn't breaking the rules, but that person there was allegedly breaking the rules. <laughs> what, what the heck does all that gibberish and mumbo-jumbo mean? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means. That person's there against the rules, but we want to make sure... I, I, I'm standing here because I want to make sure this other team is... Not bre- I, I want to make sure this other team is breaking the rules or not. <laughs> Look, I'm but am I breaking big, a rule standing here trying to find this out? <laughs> I am a huge, huge, huge believer in execution. <laughs> I don't really give a darn if you know what we're going to do. Okay? If we execute it, you can't stop it. <laughs> I'm a huge believer in it. I mean, for God's sake. Okay. The teams ran the wishbone years ago. You either gave it to the fullback, you pitched to the back, or the quarterback kept it. Okay. If you execute against it, like Penn State did against Texas in 1972 in the Cotton Bowl, you will crush that team. If you don't, they will crush you. I, you know. You got people with talking into their glove. They're talking into their play card. They're talking. Oh. Oh. I don't know. I mean, here. I mean, I mean, there's certain things I think that should happen in the game. One of them is I think everybody should be allowed to be using video. Well, I don't care if they use video. You know, and like take the NFL for example. College football is the same way. They use still pictures. What the heck? Just show them the freaking video. Come on. It's 2018. Show them the dog on video. 
I mean, that's just me. And I know there are a lot of coaches that are against that, but, geez, I mean, Trace McSorley should be able to sit down on the sideline with an iPad and look at the videos to what the heck happened on the play. Why should they be the only ones on the planet that don't have access to looking to the video? And when you sit there and say, oh, look, he's out of position here, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's 2018, for goodness sakes. We have still pictures. Really? No, I think coaches have their reason for that. You know, and I know I know there's probably a logical reason why you can't do anything with that, but yeah, I think it's ridiculous just sitting there paging through still pictures of whatever. I said, oh, well, look at that defense. They're in a four three. Oh, look at that coverage. Okay, great. Oh, look, there's there's my summer vacation. Okay. There's a <laughs> great. I'll let him use video. I'll go back to what I said before about Penn State football. I think right now they need a couple more playmakers on defense, and some, and, and I think a couple of those playmakers on defense are already there. They have to emerge as playmakers. See, I think Micah Parsons can be a great playmaker, but he's got to get himself into the groove of, of playing in space, which has not been his bag Uh coming up through the ranks. So how would you uh, evaluate him halfway through the season? Because there was a lot of there was a lot of pomp and circumstance with him heading out of high school and and he got in right away during the blue white game, saw a lot of saw a lot of playing time there. So yeah. I'm just curious how far along do you think uh, he he's you know he is so far? Or or has Jack made any reference toward him? Jack hasn't really talked much about him, to be honest with you, because I mean he's been in some plays and all of his plays have been, except for the punt against Pitt, all of his plays have been um, downfield. In other words, he doesn't have you know tackles for losses and things like that. Okay, this is what I think of him. He is an awesome athlete with great speed, and he knows how to play the game of football. He's also playing a position he has never played before. That's why I felt the spring was beneficial to him, too, because in the spring, you'd go along and you wouldn't notice he was there in practice, and all of a sudden there'd be back-to-back plays where suddenly this guy with this burst, like, boom. You know, wow. And also you, you get that wow factor. That's the kind of athlete he is. I thought in the uh, preseason Watching him, and I know I made the comment on the show that I thought him being in the being here in the spring really helped him. He was definitely ahead of where he should be because he had been here in the spring. During the season, as he made the progress I hoped he would make, there are moments where I see it, and there are moments I don't. And that's you know, and I think part of that is still trying to figure out how to play in space. And, you know, and I think there also has to be, uh, he also has to take advantage of his natural abilities. When he's called on the blitz, that's his baby. I mean, he's got it in him to do that. But he's got to be able to get himself in there and not get picked up by somebody. He's too good to get picked up by somebody. So I think the next month for him is going to be really important because I see the potential in him. But again, that's where he is. Right now, it's potentially he's still finding himself out there. That's what I think. I think he's still finding himself out there. He is definitely under the category of he is no doubt playing because an athlete of that caliber, you've got to somehow get on the field. 
So when you get an athlete of that caliber, you are trying to get him onto the field. But again, he's playing in a spot where you know, you've got to play in space, you've got to play in coverage, you've got to be able to time up a blitz, you've got to be able to scrape off that blitz. You, there's, all, there's a lot of things that you need to do that at times he does and at other times he doesn't. He's got that inconsistency to him so far. But in terms, and now, now I'll say this, once the light bulb gets completely on for him where all of this is second nature to him, all this is instinctive to him, I think he's going to be a really special player. But right now, they're still halfway into the season. There's still that learning process about playing this game in space. That's what I think. But I watch him. And Jack has not really talked about him that much. Hmm. Hey, so speak, so, what so speak, you, speaking what, of linebackers. Well, I, uh, what, I, what I may do, though, is I may in the pregame show this week specifically ask Jack about Micah Parsons and okay. what he thinks of him so far. Great. Cool. Hey, speaking of Penn State linebackers, wanted to bring this up. Actually, we we posted this last night on our social medias during the baseball last night about uh, uh, Jason Cabinda. He made the mm-hmm. official yep. fifty-three. No longer on the practice squad for the Raiders. Now the Raiders are struggling though at a one and five. But uh, the, def- definitely, uh, you know, congrats to him and uh, shows the commitment and and uh, that he has given to that team. And uh, kudos to him. And Grant Haley was put on the fifty-three for the Giants. Yeah. So. That's good news for both of them, and they both earned it. But I'll go back to what I was saying earlier. Penn State needs a couple more playmakers on offense and defense. Okay? And playmakers, for example, on offense that Trace can, tr- can completely trust. I think that's important. But they need a couple more playmakers on offense. Hamler absolutely is one. Fryermuth in his own way is one. Okay. Now you've got to have a couple of other people that can be deep threats. Polk can be a deep threat. Tompkins can be a deep threat. Um, I, I'm i not sure, but I'm wondering if this is a week where there's still three weeks remaining for the kids. You know, is this the time that we see one of those three remaining ones for maybe a, a kid like Dotson, for example? We'll see. Uh, next... In this is, um, and then the other part is the depth part. Now, the depth part, I think, is going to happen over time. PJ Mustafer is going to be a really good player. Uh, Judge Culpepper, you notice that he hasn't played in any games yet. I think he's still a work in progress. And, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence as to what the coaching staff feels about the spot that they took CJ Thorpe and they flipped him over to defense to the tackle spot. So you've got to get better depth there. You can't, you know, there's no doubt by a by a significant margin that Givens and Windsor are your two best defensive tackles. But they can't play 89 plays. They can't do it. I mean, everybody runs out of gas in 89 plays. I pointed about, out about the Clemson-Alabama championship game a couple of years ago when Deshaun Watson won it with the touchdown pass to Renfro in the final play. That final play was the 99th play of the game that Clemson ran. So Alabama, for all the platitudes, how great they are, they're awesome, they're incredible, and their defense especially gets more platitudes than anybody else, they ran out of gas. I mean, today's game is done in six-second bursts. So you got to give everything you have in those six seconds, and when you can't, when there's a whole series of those six-second plays... 
you're going to need a break. That way you can give another full six seconds per play when you get back out there. That's where the depth part comes in. Penn State needs better depth along the way, and I just don't think... um, I think you're going to see these younger players eventually, and it may not be at this moment, step up and become the depth they need. But also I think the recruiting class they have coming in is going to play a role in that too, and so will the recruiting class after that. And I think that's when James Franklin was talking about great to elite Hey, you notice he didn't look at the media when he said that. He was looking up. Well, what was he looking up at? Oh, the recruiting lounge. Okay, we'll take a break. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us on the show today. What are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm talking a couple more playmakers on each side of the ball, and I'm talking about uh, better depth. Look, I mean, they also have to be better in four-minute offense, too. I mean, when they get into these close games, something they talk about, they work hard at, but they've got to be better in four-minute offense. You know, it's you would love to get to the point. And to be honest with you, it's been a long time since Penn State's been at this point. I think you've got to go back to the 2008 Rose Bowl season, where I felt that in 2008, Penn State could get behind that offensive line, boom, 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 with Royster, and they could put a game away. Okay? Felt that way. Uh, it's been a long time since that ha- that's happened. Where, you know, And they get into these situations where I think you'd like to get behind the offensive line and go boom, 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 and all of a sudden, bam, you got a first down. And they're eating up timeouts, and you're, you're, you're putting the game away. And like with a lot of spread offenses, you know that's not happening. So now you have to make the decision about throwing the football. And, of course, there is a risk in that, too. The risk in that, too, is you throw an incomplete pass or a couple of incomplete passes. They didn't have to use the timeouts. So it's not like either solution is perfect. But idealistically, you'd like to get behind those five guys and your tight end, and you'd like to be able to pound that thing away or use your running back as a lead blocker because, obviously, you're going to put an extra person in the box. You can use your running back as a lead blocker to then get yourself out. You know, to exploit the number of guys they have in that box. Now, Penn State's got to be able to throw the ball downfield effectively. They've got to be able to throw the ball effectively downfield because when you know, we always talk about the run setting up the pass, the run sets up the pass. That has always been the traditional credo of offensive football. Now, in this era, that's not quite like that, and Trace McSorley becomes a much better weapon in the offense running the football when he's actually taking shots and Penn State's hitting a couple of those shots downfield because now it changed the dynamics of the defense. Well, Penn State didn't hit those shots downfield against Michigan State, so Michigan State never had to get out of their defense, and they were able to lock in on him. All right, final half hour coming up. 
Looking forward to it. Tomorrow, our high school football roundtable, the king tomorrow. With our picks, he's still wallowing at 500. Yeah, he can't wait till Friday. He said, yeah, I got to do this tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final half hour coming up. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15. And Hummel's Wharf. Great to have you with us. See Johnny Miller retiring from uh, announcing golf. He did a retrospective interview with Golf Channel on Tuesday night. And he recalled the biggest regret of his career. He said it came in the 1999 Ryder Cup. It says during the Saturday football uh, four-ball session, the Saturday four-ball session, Justin Leonard and Hal Sutton were losing their match to Miguel Angel Jimenez and Jose Maria Oethobel. Uh Leonard had lost his morning battle, promoting Millen, Mill, uh, Miller to exclaim, my hunch is that Justin needs to go home and watch it on television. Now, that's unnecessarily harsh in the moment, yes, especially when Sutton and Leonard were able to have the match. He says... He says, I think that I didn't say the words right about Leonard as the miracle of Brookline was uh, about to take place. He says, I meant really, I did say he should be home, but I meant the motel room. <laughs> he says, "He says even then I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> he said, I want so much for the outcome that I'm hoping for that I actually uh, get overwhelmed with what I see, almost the kind of things that you would say if you were sitting with your buddies, if you're watching it on TV. He just couldn't win a match. But the remark became infamous after Leonard drained a cup-winning putt on Brookline's 17th green. For the record, Leonard lost just once in his uh, four matches that week. Of course, he ended up, after the lousy comment, I made motivated maybe the team supposedly in the locker room, and he ends up making a 45-50 foot putt to seal the deal, almost like a Hollywood movie or something. He says, I apologized to him literally the next day. 
I happen to see him. I try to make a policy when I go over the line that I get a hold of the guy within 24 hours and tell him I made a double bogey. That's just the way I have done it through the years. It's worth noting that Leonard's version is a bit different with the 97 Open champion claiming Miller's apology came weeks later, still that Miller was not afraid to back up his bark with an indelible, unique characteristic uh, one uh, the game will miss. Look, Miller was Miller is great on golf. Okay, there's no getting around it. He was honest. Yeah, I mean, not everybody liked what he said, but you know, he's honest. And what I found interesting is that NBC now slash Golf Channel with Miller just let Miller be Miller. Now he's also been along the way, uh, maybe with age, has been less critical. Probably the the single guy out there that is. Honest beyond honest is probably Brandel Chambly now. There are a lot of pros that don't want to talk to him. Okay. They don't want to talk to him. And, you know, it's one thing about CBS, for example, they're very much into the promoting the sport part of it. So they're more in sync and maybe more, for lack of a better term, it's not the best term, buddy-buddy with the players. Okay. You know, in other words, they're, they're much more on board with the client and the clients of PGA Tour. Okay. All right. All right, what do you think? 800-795-9565, 800-795-9565. Six five. Uh, an area where Penn State needs to be better. They need to get more takeaways. My goodness, they need more takeaways. They only have eight so far this year. No, actually, you look at Penn State's giveaways. Only given up the ball seven times all season. It doesn't look right when it's a plus one. Penn State should be a plus six or seven right now. And I mean, they need more takeaways. And that was one of the bothersome parts about the Michigan State game. Michigan State handed Penn State the potential of eight turnovers in the game. Eight. And Penn State got one. Even if Penn State gets three, they win the game. Michigan State fumbled four times and recovered all four. Three interceptions were right there for the taking. Okay, there were four interceptions for the taking. One was picked, three were dropped got to get more takeaways because it just it changes everything we do that I thought Michigan State got great momentum early in the game when when Trace fumbled because that drive that opening drive that was clicking it was humming it was going and all of a sudden boom it died so that's you know These are all things, but you know what? There's also another bottom line to this. They've had almost 900 plays so far this year. 900 plays, offense and defense. And right now everybody's defining everything by what happened on six plays. Do I think they're a better football team than that? Yes. Now, do they have to go out there and do it and show it? Yeah, of course they do. 
Okay. A couple other notes for you. Uh, I think people in Shimoka are bidding for the Seattle Seahawks. Now they appear to be for sale. No, just kidding. But uh, it's one thing Paul Allen did. He saved the Seahawks in Seattle. I mean, everybody's like, oh, yeah, of course they saved him. No, he did. So he did. He, He was able to. Uh, he saved them because there are a lot of people wondering if they were going to leave, be bought and taken out of there. Now they think there's an excellent chance that the Seahawks stay in Seattle. And to be honest with you, the uh, NFL needs to keep the team in Seattle. I mean, they, they need the market. They need that area of the country. And then the Bill Belichick, Khalil Mack thing today with about Lawrence Taylor. I, okay, sometimes you, you ask yourself, I think in order to do this job and ask those kind of questions, you got to have some perspective. you got to have some perspective. I, mean, I don't know who asked the question, but I'm going to make a pretty good guess that it was somebody that never saw Lawrence Taylor play. I mean, Khalil Mack is a really, really good player. But he's not in Lawrence Taylor's class. My goodness. Doesn't have the speed, the size, the acceleration. All the nightmarish problems that he called. Now, did you see the boxer? Is it Canelo? Yes, out of Mexico. Yes. Who's a middleweight? Yes. They're going to come out. He's going to get 300 and something million dollars. $365 million, he signed a deal with a new service. Uh, You pay $10 a month, and it's pretty much like boxing. It's a a boxing uh, stream service. See, this is what I find interesting. ESPN is, I think, going to get more into the boxing deal here. Yes, since HBO is going out, yeah, after several decades. There's a reason HBO is going out. Hey, let me ask you a question. Who's the heavyweight champion of the world? For some reason, I'm thinking Klitschko, but I may be wrong. It's not. No? How bad is that? (laughs) Well, no, but that's my point. That is my point. As we were growing up, though, like 30-plus years ago, you would know in like half a second. Everybody knew. Okay, everybody knew who the heavyweight champion of the world was. Okay? Everybody knew. Okay? You know, I don't care whether it goes way back to um, Joe Lewis or Max Schmeling or Max Bear or Jim Braddock or Rocky Marciano or Joe Lewis or Floyd Patterson. Even the guys down like me, Ezra Charles, right? Floyd Patterson, Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, Joe Frazier, George Foreman, Larry Holmes, okay? Even at one point, Jimmy Ellis, Mike Tyson. Now nobody knows. Boxing is dead. It's dead. 
I mean, you know, Jack Dempsey, Gene Tunney, Jack Johnson. They come. I mean, like these are all people that were all part of the of the of the fabric. Okay, but not anymore. You know, Evander Holyfield, Buster Douglas. Yeah, okay. Lennox Lewis. I think people knew who he was. Riddick Rowe. I think they knew who he was. Now nobody knows who that heck these people are. Anthony Joshua. You ever hear Anthony Joshua? Anybody know who the heck Anthony Joshua is? Manuel Char? Who are these people? They're the current heavyweight champions. All right, let's go to, is it uh, Sealands Grove? Yeah, we got Barrett on the line. Barrett, hey, Barrett, how are you? Good, and uh, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. And uh, for the record, I've never heard of those boxers either. So, okay, very uh, good question. for you. That means you're an American. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I apologize if you talked about this earlier in the week. I can't listen every day. Um, quick Baird. question about the. <laughs> I try, I try. I know. I pre- in a way. We, appre- we appreciate hey. you. There's a podcast for that, Barry. <laughs> no, we appreciate that. Well, oh, yeah. oh, I, <laughs> so I, I sometimes look. Sometimes I'm listening whenever I watch the dog, or uh, whenever I walk the dog in the evening as well. But even that doesn't always happen. Anyway, so going back to the to the uh, what what I perceive to be a lateral, um, like two, yeah, two okay. yards backwards, which which they called after reviewing it. They said apparently, and Co- and Coach Franklin addressed it a little bit in his post game conference. Uh, allegedly, the rule is they 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 uh, deemed that his arm was going forward regardless of where the ball ends up. Um, can you clarify that a little bit? I, it, I I I concur with what Coach said. You know, it's, at the end of the play, if the ball is farther behind the line of scrimmage than what it was whenever it left the quarterback's hand, regardless of which way his his hand was being directed, that was a, that to me was always a lateral. Uh, I completely agree with you, Baird. The common sense of it says it is. But I'll tell you what the roots of this happen to be, you know, in talking it over with James and the explanation he's received. So I've talked to James about this, and the explanation is as follows. This is very similar to the tuck rule with Tom Brady against the Raiders back in 2001, where he went, goes forward, now, you and I both know common sense says that Brady fumbled the ball and that the Raiders recovered. Right. But in the NFL, to eliminate the gray area, the tuck rule is essentially that is because the arm's going forward, a forward pass. So any ball in a forward motion is considered a forward pass. Well, in this particular case, the reason the ball went in that direction is because Shaka Tony hit the arm, and there's it's un, it's unquestioned that Brian Lewerke's arm is going forward. So yeah. again, college football has done the same thing. Let's eliminate the gray area that because the arm is going forward, okay, the forward motion of making a pass, it is the hit of the arm that then causes the ball to go in the direction it was not meant to go in. 
So that's right. what they've done right. in college football. Is like like the NFL with the tuck rule. They've eliminated the gray area of guessing, and that they've used that the complete motion of the arm going forward happens to be what gives them the easiest way to rule it, and that's how it was explained to James. All right, and 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 that makes sense, and that's something I couldn't see. My my seats are in uh, in the north end zone, so I I uh, I couldn't even tell from the play where they're going out of bounds until I watched the replay up on the big screen. And I was so focused on where the ball was, where he was whenever uh, the ball left his hand and where the ball went out of bounds that it, I totally missed uh, Shaka Tony uh, uh, in a role in that play. So that makes sense. Um, well, I mean, and, it, it, you know, I mean, I mean, I understand what they're trying to do. It's make it's easier for the officials right. to officiate a play like that, and I understand right. because he started the pass started at the twenty seven yard line. It went out of bounds at the twenty five and a half, so the ball right. did go backwards on the trajectory that was a yard and a half back. But again, like the tuck rule in the NFL, the forward motion of the quarterback's arm dictates whether it's a forward pass or not. Okay, that's their explanation. My common sense says I'm I'm with how you feel about it, but right. if that's if that's the rule, I move on. That's why on Monday, for example, Baird, I said, look, I don't know what to tell you about that because I haven't told I haven't talked to anybody about it yet on Monday, and I thought my response right. on Monday was about as fair as fair gets. I wasn't going to shoot my mouth off about something I wasn't sure about. Absolutely, and you know, and and of course. Had the, had we been uh, Michigan State fans, uh, we would have agreed, uh, you know, wholeheartedly, and you know, and that and that's that's understandable. The other thing is, um, the, the only the end result should could if that had gone Penn State's way is they would have been ten yards farther back. Um, there, there's no guarantee they wouldn't have made those ten yards up. It wouldn't have the game didn't necessarily hinge on that play. It no, no, just no. Would have put that's them right. a ten yard ten yard deeper hole. Ultimately, right. uh, we didn't make the plays whenever it was second down and ten versus second down and twenty. That that could have made the difference, and uh, so be it. That's yeah, I mean, game yeah, yeah, you just yeah, you just don't you don't know. I mean, they nope. they could have hit. It could have been second and twenty, and they hit a twenty yard play. I don't know. Oh, and and the way they were moving the ball, <laughs> there's a strong possibility that would have occurred. So, yes. but that's not the way it played out, though. And we right. know how it played out, and that, that's what we live with. So, exactly All right, right, right Barry. That uh, pre- yeah, I appreciate the explanation. Makes sense. No problem. Thanks Have so much, Bear. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, bye bye. Boy, we had a lot of great calls this week. Boy, we had a lot of great calls. Yeah, this it's week. been great. Great phone calls. Great emails. Comments. Yeah, post them on Facebook. Steve Jones at wkok.com. Our email. Yeah. Don't hesitate. Keep them coming. We will wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. <laughs> I had a little fun with Sean during the break. <laughs> Sean told me who told me who Canelo's next fight was against. Going to be in December, Madison Square Garden on this new boxing pay service called DAZN. D A Z N. DAZN. Actually, Michael Buffer, the infamous ring announcer. He signed a deal with DAZN about a month or so ago. But anyway, if you love boxing, you can watch it on your device, smartphone, tablet, whatever. Only cost you ten bucks a month. But anyway, in December, <laughs> Madison Square Garden, he'll be taking on uh, Camilo Alvarez, a guy from England, many of Rocky Fielding. 
in a super middleweight bout. <laughs> so I said to Sean, he said, he's fighting Rocky Fielding? Really? Yeah. I said, wow. And Sean goes, yeah. And I go, I never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> you sounded so convincing. The first thing I thought of is, hmm, okay, maybe he had a 4A in minor league baseball and was it <laughs> was on a minor league team against the Spikes earlier this decade before he found boxing or something. <laughs> Joe, Joe Paterno loved Joe Paterno loved the sport of boxing. He got that from his from his father. Okay, loved the sport. 1983, we're in Philadelphia. Penn State's going to play Temple. Now, over the years, you know, Dave Baker, uh, Bud Tolman, Jeff Nelson, as the sports information directors, always had a suite. And then Joe would come up on Friday night to the suite, and you know, I just you know hang around, talk a little bit off the record about anything. Right? Joe loved boxing. Well, Barry Tompkins is announcing, and it's the heavyweight boxing match between Michael Dokes and, and Jerry Kutsia, South Africa. Well, they get to the ninth round, and Dokes is the heavy favorite. And in the ninth round, Kutsia knocks him out. And in the background, you hear Barry Tompkins exclaim, and Jerry Kutsia is the heavyweight champion of the world. And Joe looks up and goes, who? <laughs> That's when I knew the sport was starting to be in trouble. <laughs> when a guy that really knows boxing doesn't recognize the name of the guy that just became the champ. I mean, boxing is its not dead, but it's on life support. Why anybody would pay $365 million to a boxer in the 2000s, I, I find bizarre. I find bizarre. Again, nobody can name the heavyweight champion of the world. Nobody can. Now, in your lifetime, especially to those of you who have lived a little bit, when's that ever been true? Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.